0: Hello, welcome to Caregiver's Haven, a podcast helping families who are caregivers of the loved one with a mental illness gain peace of mind. Even though this is a podcast focused on family caregivers of the mentally ill, much of the discussion can be helpful to any caregiver. Your host is Sandra. She is a family caregiver sharing her lived experiences and hopes to provide education, support support and resources to other families.
1: Happy Wednesday. So good to be here. It's been a minute. I've been gone and I'm so happy to be back. You know, I've told you guys all before that this podcast is just as much for me as it is for you. It encourages and motivates me as well as um, all of you out there, all of you caregivers out there. So glad to be back. And if you'll indulge me for just a minute, I just want you guys to hear a little bit of a song uh, before I get started. And I thought I could uh, do that without getting too emotional, but um, it gets me every time. That song got me through a really, really tough time back in March, and um, I still listen to it every day. It helped me go to sleep at night, and man, it, it just keeps me going. Um, my brother sent it to me when he knew that I was having trouble sleeping, and I've been listening to it ever since. It's one of those old school gospel songs, you know, um, back in the, I think it was recorded in 89, 1989, the first time. It's done by the Clark sisters, which is a female gospel group. Uh, and the lead singer on this particular song is Twinkie Clark, one of the sisters, and the other lead singers, Rance Allen, another male gospel singer. The song was written by their mom, Maddie Moss Clark. And you'll if you ever watch the video, you'll see her at the end um, directing the choir. And the choir is the Michigan State Mass Choir. And so they were doing a live concert when they did this. And um I'm I'm telling you, it just really helped me. You guys can listen to it sometime if you get a chance, but that song just really helped me get through a really, really rough time. So for those of you who listen to my podcast, uh Caregivers Haven. You may recall in episode four that I talked about um, being in Vegas with some back pain. My family and I had went to Vegas for a Pac-12 girls basketball tournament. And so we were at one of the casinos at the arenas with thousands of people. We got there on Thursday, we went to one of the games On Thursday night and we went back to another game on Friday night and I mean there was thousands of people there there were people coughing and sick but I mean we didn't think twice of it because at this point the whole COVID thing was pretty new they hadn't really shut down anything yet Um, people were talking about it but it just wasn't that talked about yet and so again we went Thursday and Friday well by Saturday evening my husband wasn't feeling well and he he said do I feel hot to you? And I was like, Oh my gosh, you're burning up. So we went back um, to our hotel and, um, he got sicker throughout the night. He got a, he um, had a really high fever. He had chills and we were supposed to leave the next day on Sunday But we ended up having to stay an extra day because he was just too sick to travel. And so, um, we we stayed we went home he felt a little bit better on that Monday but by Tuesday no I'm sorry he stayed home on Monday by Tuesday he felt a little bit better and he went to work um and he went to work all that week he also went and got a bunch of food for us and water and just prepared us for the whole COVID thing because by then by the end of that week one of the NBA players had gotten COVID they had canceled the whole rest of the March Madness and um The whole social distancing and stay at home guidelines were sent out by the government. So everything just started moving fast towards the end of that week. So the following week, on that Tuesday, which was about 10 days after he um, had first got the fever and chills, he came home from work and he was like, You know what? I kind of, my chest kind of feels funny and I'm still not feeling better. Can you take a listen? So I got my stethoscope and I listened and I was like, I don't hear any air movement in your right lower lobe. And he's like, what does that mean? I said, you need to go to the ER or the urgent care right away because that's not, you know, that's not good. So he went to urgent care and they told him that he might have pneumonia in his right lower lobe. And they sent him home with a pack, which is an antibiotic. And I was like, I'm surprised that they sent you home with a Z-Pak because that's more like for bacterial um, pneumonia. And they didn't do any blood or anything. So they must be thinking viral. So I'm not sure why they sent sent you home with that. Um, And they said you might. But by the time he got home, um, they called and confirmed that he did have right lower lobe pneumonia. And so at this point, he didn't have a cough or anything. But he just still wasn't feeling well and had this tightness in his chest. <clears throat> and so um, that was on t- late Tuesday night, and so by Friday, he still wasn't feeling better, and so I'm like, we need to call your doctor, so we called the doctor, and the doctor, you know, he said, this coronavirus is going around. We're not sure if you have it yet, but you have pneumonia, so we need to watch for it, and he said, if you if you spike a fever again, you need to go to the ER right away, so The next day on Saturday, I took him to one of the drive-ups to get tested for coronavirus. But that evening, he was just feeling worse. We never got the results from that. And I took him to the ER. And so when we got to the ER, he went in, but they told me I couldn't come in. And I go, well, why not? And they said, we just shut everything down today. And so there's no visitors in the hospital for anyone. You need to go in the parking lot and wait in the car. So... I was in the parking lot for four hours, in the cold, (laughs) had to keep turning the car around with the heater, and finally a doctor calls and says, well, he now has bilateral pneumonia and he needs to be admitted. And so I felt bad because when he went in, we weren't expecting that, so I never gave him a hug goodbye or gave him a kiss goodbye or anything. They just had, you know, the nurse had just taken him and then the other nurse sent me to the car. So I was like, what is going on? And why is there no visitors? You know, this had all just started. So he was, that was like late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. So he was in the hospital Sunday um, and then Monday, and then Monday night he called me and he was like, he was kind of talking like he was kind of delirious and he was saying he didn't feel good. And he said his breathing was getting worse and he felt hot. And so I I got really worried just because the way he was talking and so I said, okay, let me try to get you some help. So I hung up and I called the nurse's station and I was like, you need to call a RRT on my husband. Um, and so an RRT, a code blue is when somebody's heart stopper is like a true emergency and something's like about to happen. A RRT is called rapid response. It's the rapid response team. And that team goes when somebody's getting in trouble and you're going to try to help them to prevent them from, you know, from coding or having a heart attack or, you know, getting very, very sick. And so they had already called the team. So I said, you know, please call me back when and let me know what's going on. So I called my husband back, and I told him they've already called for some help, so just let's just see what's going to happen. And he told me at that point his fever was 104. And so no one calls me. This was like 10.30. I don't get a call back until like midnight, and he tells me that they got him stabilized they had to get him off of the nasal cannula onto a mask, which means, you know, his breathing was getting worse. And they were going to give him Benadryl to sleep because he hadn't slept for two days. So I'm thinking, OK, good. He's stable. Everything's going to get better. And then I get to call at 4.53 a.m. and it's my husband and he's telling me they're taking me to ICU. And I'm like, what? What's going on? And he starts telling me that he can't hardly breathe and his temperature is 105 and they were packing him in ice. And so I'm like freaking out. And he's so he starts talking to me about like a DNR and all this stuff. And I was like, why are you talking about that? Don't be talking about that. You know, just what are they saying? And he keeps talking about a DNR. And I was like, look, do you want to come back home? And he said, yes. And I said, do you want to live? And he said, yes. And I said, okay, then quit talking like that. And you have to fight this. Don't listen to what those doctors say. You have to fight it. And, um, to get through this. And he goes, they're thinking it's that virus. And I was like, it's okay. Just fight through it. Don't listen to them. And so, and then he's like, well, I love you. <coughs> and I said, I love you. I felt bad. Cause like this whole time I'm just fussing, but cause I would like, he was scared. I was scared. And I said, I love you. And then that was the last time I talked to him until like 21 days later. So I hang up the phone and I'm like, just stunned. Like, like, I don't even know what to, what to think, what to do. And you know, the one part of me is I'm thinking like a wife and I'm like stressed out, but I'm also thinking like a nurse. I'm an ICU nurse. So I know exactly what's going on and I know how bad this is. And it was just a, a crazy combination of feelings going through all this. And so um, as I'm trying to, like, wrap my brain around it, the phone rings again, like, three different times. It's a nurse, then it's another nurse, and then it's a doctor. So when the doctor calls, he tells me, yeah, we think your husband has coronavirus. We're taking him to ICU, and we're putting him on the ventilator. And I was like, okay, so what does that mean? You know, what is the prognosis? What is the plan? And he's like, well, the prognosis... Um, we don't know what to do. We're just kind of getting briefings from what worked in China and we're trying to do that because there's no cure for it. All we can do is support the symptoms and, um, and, and see if that works. And I was like, what? See if that works. And he's like, well, the mortality. And when he starts talking about mortality and things like that, I like freaked out because I just realized how, how really, really bad this was because the doctors didn't know what to do. Like, basically, he was telling me they didn't know what to do. I was, I was like, speechless, thoughtless, confused, sad. I mean, just all the feelings. And, you know, if you talk to people in my family, I'm usually not quiet. And my family, they say I drive them crazy because I ask a 100,000 questions all day, every day. But at this point, I wasn't asking no questions. I wasn't talking. I was just frozen in thought. Like, I just you know, didn't even know what to do. So um I hung up and then another doctor called and um he was an infectious disease doctor and he said they were um they were gonna wait for the test results to come and if so they would try the um trial medication they were using they had a few doses and just it was just it was just bad. And so, you know, I hang up and I'm trying to figure out who I can call because it's five in the morning. I didn't want to wake people up, but I needed to call someone. I had already called my prayer warriors two days ago when he had first gone into the hospital. And so now I'm like, we need to up that ante. We need to call more people. Um, And then I remembered my sister was three hours away. So I called my sister. Um, I called my oldest daughter, who's also three hours away. I called my son. I didn't call my younger two children yet, but it was just horrible, horrible. And so that whole week, it was just up and down and there was never like any good news. The doctors would just call and update me, but the updates were, were just not good. You know, his oxygen requirements were really, really high. And, um, there wasn't ever like any big changes. And, you know, it was just a whole lot going on. Like by day four, his job called and was like, you know, he hasn't been to work. He hasn't shown up for work for four days. And I was like, Oh my God. You know, I listened to the message and Oh my God, I never even thought to call his job. And, You know, my daughter said she would take care of it. So she called them. But the other thing that happened um, around this time, the doctor was saying, you know, we're just at a standstill because he's not getting any better. He's not getting any worse, but he's not getting any better. And, you know, they weren't giving me a lot of hope. Well, around the same time of day four or five, my son, who also went to Vegas with us, one of my sons, he asked me for some Tylenol. And so I gave him the Tylenol. You know, I wasn't thinking straight. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. But then the next day he asked for it again. And I was like, well, hold up. What's up with this Tylenol? And he said, Mom, I have I have chills and body aches. And I was like, oh, my God, why haven't you told me? And he's like, well, I didn't want them to do to me what they're doing to my dad. And I just didn't want to worry you. And I was like, no, we need to get on this like right now. We need to get on top of this. You, you know, you need to tell me. And so now, you know, I have people calling about my husband all day, but I'm trying to get my son, you know, taken care of, making lemon tea and just, you know, all the things that you do. And he's not getting any better. He stopped eating. And so, you know, that Friday, about a week after my husband was in the hospital, we call this doctor and the doctor says, you know, I'm sorry to tell you this, but he probably has the same thing that your husband has. And, you know, you have to get some fluids in him. And I'm like, well, he hasn't eaten for like four days. And she goes, that I, I know that that's bad, but just get fluids in him. Just get fluids in him. So I'm trying to get fluids in him. Um, right around that time, my husband's, the um, the tube, the breathing tube came out and they had to put it back in, which is like a big setback. My son is sick. And I, I, I'm just like trying to hold it together <laughs> Just trying to hold it together. Uh, And so on uh, Monday, my son just wasn't getting any better. And so um, on Tuesday, I took him to the ER. And because because by then, he wouldn't even drink anything. So I take him to the ER. And guess what? I'm sitting in the parking lot again, this time for three hours. It was during the day. And the doctor calls and says, Your son has right-sided pneumonia, and we're sending him home with a Z-Pack. So, what do you think I did? I was not gonna. I was not putting up with that. And I was like, I'm not playing this game with you guys again. This is the same thing you did with my husband. You know, it's probably coronavirus, and the Z-Pack is not going to work. Blah blah blah. I'm just like flipping out. And I go, my husband's in there right now in the ICU, and now you're you're sending my son home with the same treatment that did not work. And he said, well. For right now, he doesn't need oxygen, and he's only mildly dehydrated, so we don't have reason to admit him, you know, just bring him back if you need to. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll bring him back. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to wait like we did with my husband. So we come home, and later on my son goes, Mom, can you guys pray for me? And I'm like, okay, he must be really feeling bad for, you know, to ask for us to pray for him. So... I I, I'm just watching him all night and I had this little pulse oximeter which measures your the oxygen saturation in your blood and if it's too low it means you're hypoxic, it means you don't have enough oxygen. And his was 84%. But he looked fine. And I was like, Am I tripping? So I called my other friend who's the ICU nurse, Grace, and I was like, Grace, you know, this thing is saying he's satin at 84. But he's not. He doesn't look like he's short of breath or anything. And she's like, "No, that's too low. It doesn't matter. Take him in." And so um, I had told my daughter about it also. And her sister-in-law called me, who's a nurse practitioner. She's like, "No, that's too low." She goes, "But that's a trip that he's not showing any signs." And I'm like, "No, I'm assessing him." So anyway, I took him back to the yard ER the very next night. And they're like, "Oh, it's a good thing you brought him back because now he has bilateral pneumonia and he needs oxygen." And I was like, so pissed off. I'm like, that's, I was trying to tell you guys yesterday he was that sick. And they're like, well, we know, but, you know, he just didn't meet the criteria to be admitted, you know, yesterday. So now my husband and my son are both in the hospital with coronavirus. My son luckily was only there for five days and didn't require the ventilator. He just needed oxygen. But you can just imagine, I'm just like a nervous wreck. And I was here in the house by myself because the doctor told us that our house, that we were quarantined, that no one could come in the house and we couldn't go out. So my oldest son couldn't even come home to help. Like no one could come home and help me. None of my siblings, no one could come help me. And two days after my son went in, I realized that I had had a scratchy throat and I hadn't been paying attention to it. And I was tired, but I just thought it was because I hadn't been sleeping. I was worried about my husband. So I call my doctor and I was like, hey, can you order me something? Because I have a scratchy throat. And I said, and I can't smell or taste anything. And she was like, oh, my God, Sandra. She goes, you know what? All of you guys have it. She goes, we just got briefing from the CDC this morning that no taste, no smell is a, um, is a, is a it can be a confirmation diagnosis for coronavirus. And so you guys, I'm like, a secret about me is I'm kind of scary I don't like being in the house by myself. I hear all the noises. And so I was already freaking out because I was home by myself once my son got in the hospital. But now I'm in the house by myself and I can't smell or taste anything. And so I I went in the kitchen and I cut an onion and my eyes teared up so bad, but I could not smell a single thing. And, you know, I've had colds before, like where I can't, Taste or smell afterwards, but this was different than that. Like it was nothing. I could not taste or smell anything. So then I'm freaking out because I'm like, I'm in the house all by myself and I can't smell. What if the house catches on fire? I won't smell the smoke. What if there's a gas leak? I, I can't smell it. <laughs> it was horrible. I was terrified. And I really, that song, that song helped me. And I just had to pray. And I was like, God, it's just me and you. And you know what my fears are. You, you got to help me. You got to help me with this because I didn't know if I was going to make it. I was just like, what really am I, what am I going to do? And so, um, I made it, I made it through the weekend that same day. My husband had another setback. They took the breathing tube out because he was doing better, but he had a lot of swelling and they had to put it back in. So we were dealing with all that. So finally on Friday, I mean, on Sunday, they were able to take the tube out. So then I'm stressing out because I don't want him to know that my son is in the hospital because I just felt like he needed all of his oomph to get better. Like he, I didn't want him to be stressed out or worried about anything else. I knew that he needed all of his strength to get better. And so I notified all of our family, you know, if he texts you or if he calls you to not tell him that my son is in the hospital. And so I was really stressing about that, but thank God The day after he got um, extubated, my son, they discharged my son. So my son came home before my husband um, got home. And I felt bad because someone actually told my husband that day or or a couple of days later. And he asked me and I felt really bad because I just sat and paused and (laughs) was trying to decide if I should lie or not. And I decided to lie. And I said, no, no, he wasn't in the hospital. And I just decided that I would tell him when he got home. And so um it, it was just, it was crazy. So my son came home on a Monday. My husband came home the following Friday and thank you, Jesus. They both made it through that. My husband ended up being in the hospital for 21 days. He ended up being on the ventilator for 14 days. Um, but they both made it. They both, both came home and I attribute all of that to God. I called my prayer warriors right at the very beginning. They started praying. We had, we just had prayers from everywhere. Um, my cousin who I hadn't talked to for like eight years happened to text me and say, you know, we're trying to get a million people to pray for globally for coronavirus. And I told her about my husband. So then they were able to add him and my son to that prayer list that was, you know, they were trying to go around and get a million people. We were just, um, and I was just giving updates to our family every day. It was just a a lot of people helping. I mean, it truly takes a village, community, a tribe, whatever you want to call it. There is no way I could have done that uh, by myself. We had so many people helping because we were quarantined. Um, we couldn't go out. But even if I could, I, I couldn't even think straight. I couldn't even think of what I needed or what needed to be done. <clears throat> so my cousins, at one point, I just got a box on the porch with some food in it. Um, my friend Grace, was she. her and her husband brought full-out groceries a couple of times. One time, she just left a bouquet of flowers on the porch. I mean... Man, it it was it was just so awesome. I had another friend who was she was making jello and bringing it to John. She was trying to help me figure out anything to get him to eat or drink. Anisha, she helped so much. Um my my coworker Shirley when when we needed Tylenol, it was right when everything started and so all the shelves were empty and nobody we could not find Tylenol. And so she, one day at work, she had somebody Who was military, go to the military base and buy Tylenol from there, bring it back to her. And then she brought it and left it on my porch. (laughs) So it was just, it truly was a a full community of people helping. And then, you know, my family calling and talking to me every day. Um, My brother was my midnight road dog. Maybe that's why he sent me that song to listen to at night, (laughs) because I was keeping him up to like one or two in the morning. But It was a very scary, stressful, traumatic time, uh, but they made it, and I'm really happy that they made it out. Uh, And so what I want to share with you guys today, all of you caregivers, is that this is why we have to take care of ourselves, because when things like this happen, we have to have the strength um, that we need to be able to take care of ourselves and take care of our family members, because when when they both came home, they were still care that they required those first like two to three weeks that they came home. And so I have family members who have mental illness on top of all of of this going on and I have to make sure that I have keep my strength. And so the two takeaways for you today is number one, if you or someone you know is uh, sick with the coronavirus or you think you may have the coronavirus. Um, just make sure you seek out help if you need it. If they give you meds and send, uh, send you back home, do not be afraid to go right back if you need to the next day or even the same day. One of the things, um, is they say, if you have shortness of breath and a lot of people don't have shortness of breath, like we know it, like shortness of breath to most people means, you know, you're huffing and puffing and you're struggling to breathe. But um, for whatever reason with this virus, everyone doesn't always present in that way, and I think that's why people are getting to the hospital late and not making it because most people feel chest pain or they feel tightness in their chest. Um, and like I said, with my son, most people who are hypoxic they're huffing and puffing or you see nasal flaring or you see retractions, and you don't see any of this with this virus, and so it makes it hard for people to get help so If you have to go to the ER and they say, do you have shortness of breath? Even if you just feel tightness or you just feel chest pain, tell them yes. Tell them you're struggling to breathe. Tell them it feels funny when I breathe. So if they ask you if you have shortness of breath, don't just say no. You need to say, yeah, my breathing is something's wrong. I'm having trouble breathing because you need to get help right away. Interestingly enough, I read an article um, a few weeks after my husband and son were home. Um, in medscape and it talked about that very thing it talked about how people are hypoxic you know they have a low oxygen saturation in their blood but they're sitting there comfortable and so it's kind of sometimes the doctors are kind of missing it because the people aren't looking as sick as they really are so my first takeaway for you is to just please pay attention to that Um, go to the doctor five times if you have to and just remember if they say if you have shortness of breath if if you even if you don't feel like you're huffing and puffing, if you feel tightness or any kind of discomfort in your chest, just tell them yes. Um, and the other thing with my husband and my son both is they their cough was very, very mild. And I'm used to people with pneumonia having like a, a, a big cough or a lot of coughing. Their cough was very mild and it came at the very end when they were getting very, very sick. So that's another thing to watch out for. Um, the second takeaway is, like I said, um it it takes a village it takes a community you c- i could not have done this by myself and so it was it was just kind of weird for me because i'm used to being the caregiver i'm used to being the one to help everyone and so it was i didn't even know how to ask for help for myself cuz i'm used to being the one to help so that was really weird for me so i just want you to not be afraid to ask for help it takes a village like i said i had I had, um, one neighbor brought me lemons and Gatorade for my son to make tea. Like there were people coming out of the woodworks to help and, and they would just leave everything on the porch because no one could come in. And so don't be afraid to ask for help. And I just want to say for those of you out there who may not have a lot of family like I have, or a lot of neighbors or, or friends, you're not alone because if you, if, if you're in a situation like that and you need help contact your public health department. There's social workers there who can help you. Contact your um, behavioral health or mental health county departments. And also um, another place that you can get help that a lot of people don't know about is you can call 211. So we all know about 911 for emergencies, but there's another number, 211, and it should be in all states by now. And if you call that number, they can give you local um, resources for food or jobs or um, mental health services. Um, it, it's a number that not a lot of people know about, but it's a, it's a number that everyone should know about. So I don't want you to feel like you're alone if you don't have family. Um, those are three work resources uh, that you can use. You can call NAMI, which is the National Alliance for Mental Illness. Um, that's another resource for you to call. So anyway... That's my coronavirus story, and I hope it was helpful for someone. So remember, if you're sick, you know, don't wait. If you're having trouble breathing or tightness in chest, make sure you let them know that. And you are not alone. Always remember that. So I'm all done. Well, actually, just hold on for a second for a quick announcement, and then I'll be right back.
0: Sandra is a registered nurse, and many of her guests are healthcare professionals. However, this is not a professional podcast, nor are we associated with any mental health counseling. Please seek help with the professional provider if needed. You can reach Sandra by listening to the podcast on the Anchor app and leaving a message there. Or you can DM her on Instagram at caregivers haven if you enjoy listening to caregivers haven podcast please favorite subscribe or follow on your listening platform
1: okay guys thank you for listening and until next time caregivers haven is wishing you peace of mind